Our guest today is legendary actress and singer Jan Daly, adored for her unique magic of making what's classic contemporary again. And as a young adult in the 60s, she was actually crowned Miss California. And then in 1970, Jan's recording of Till Love Touches Your Life from the film Madrid was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Song. Now, during that time, she opened on tour for several legendary comedians, among them George Burns, Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles, and even Bob Hope. And Jan went on to accompany Bob Hope on tour, performing to audiences around the world, including U.S. troops in Vietnam and with Bob Hope Christmas Tour 50 years ago. Now, with her incredible vocals, Jan began a, or became a frequent guest on The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson, along with The Carol Burnett Show and many others. But this year, Jan was inducted into the Women Songwriters Hall of Fame, capping a career spanning over 50 years. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome multi-talented singer, songwriter, even an actress, Jan Daly to the show. Welcome, Jan. Well, uh, good morning. It's morning here in Los Angeles, so I'm very happy to be here. Well, I have to say that uh, for someone's career that spans 50 years, you don't look that old. <laughs> well, I try my best, you know, I'm, I eat the right foods, uh, exercise every day, uh, do my, we call it a slog, a slow jog every day. And um, I, I, I think, I know this is going to sound funny, but I think God has preserved me for this moment. And, and this year has been just phenomenal for me and really just shattering, you know, images of, of women this certain age that are still kicking. And I'm really kicking this year. And uh, starting off with that, oh, being inducted into the Women's Songwriter Hall of Fame, um, I still get so choked up because it's, you know, all this stuff, I, I took off 20 years um, at the height of my career um, because I had a miracle baby and um, a baby that they said I'd never have because I had cancer at 23. And so I took that 20 years and just wrote, just wrote songs and did commercials and stuff that I wouldn't be away from my, uh, my daughter. And to get back in the in industry, as we call it, uh, I had no idea where I fit in because it had changed so since, uh, you know, since I had been in it. So, so all this to happen this year and to have, you know, have my song, which we'll get into later, uh, writing on the charts with Taylor Swift. Between Taylor Swift and Lady, Lady Gaga, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I, I was really kissing the ground at that point, saying, I can't believe that this is happening. And it, I, <clears throat> you know, I, I so appreciate it. Um, I, and maybe I appreciate it more now uh, because I am older and um, can't appreciate you know, just waking up in the morning, you know. Well, you know, the, so, like you said, the industry over the years has changed. <clears throat> and, you know, every, as every decade goes by, you know, we see the changes in the entertainment, entertainment industry. 
But right. in the last 10 years alone, the changes have been, I mean, dramatic compared to the times before. But for you, how did you actually get started in uh, show business? <laughs> well, um, I was uh, a skinny little kid from a small town with big dreams. <laughs> and I knew no one in the business. Um, I was a fan, of course, of all my movie idols and so forth. And um, uh, when I got to be, I, I think a lot of doors were opened when you're, you know, hold the title like Miss California. And um, my, the mayor of Glendale, California, which is still a small town, um, it took me to the Palladium in Hollywood where Lawrence Welk, of all people, if you're old enough to remember him, uh, had a television show and was quite popular. Of course, I thought it was all the old fogies that were watching it because I was like 19. So um, the minute that this happened and that Lawrence Welk asked me, well, would you like to be the champagne lady, which was a regular on his television show. And I chose to go on the road with a rock band. <laughs> and my mother, to her chagrin, uh, just said, oh, but that would have been so nice. I said, yeah, mom, okay, you know. So so I started that, I came back, and I think I, I learned so much on the road. But, uh, you know, traveling with five guys and you're 19 was not my exact idea of uh, doing what I wanted to do. And I just got lucky. I went to the musicians union. They gave me a number on a piece of paper and I went to this manager and he just fell in love with my voice. And I was out there with, you know, all these phenomenal comics and doing television. And uh, it's just kind of, in, and as a young person, I had no idea that, oh, okay, that's happening. You know, I just thought that was normal um, at that point. And um, now I look back and say, God, I was so blessed uh, to be on a television series and meeting all, all my idols from Jimmy Stewart to Jack Benny to Bob Hope and doing skits with them and singing. I mean, uh, that was just phenomenal. And then being able to, um, actually I, I had cancer and they asked if I would sing this uh, title song in Italy, and I said, where do I go? You know, um, I, I, absolutely. Unfortunately, three days before I would leave, I was in the hospital. And the, my doctor came in and said, well, now I want you to take, you know, get off, you know, don't just, just lay in your bed for a couple of weeks. And I went, oh no, that's not happening. I'm, I have to leave for Italy in three days. How do we make this happen? So he, to his chagrin as well, um, he said, well, okay, I'll give you this medicine and you, but you have to go in a wheelchair. So that's how I went to Rome my first time ever. And uh, it was phenomenal. But I, what I had forgotten is I had, I was very weak. So this particular song, you held notes for like four to eight bars. And, and I thought, oh my God, Goodness, I hadn't counted on that. But, you know, long story short, I'm glad that I risked, you know, my health uh, for doing it because then, of course, you know, it was nominated for an Academy Award. 
uh, as a you know theme from a movie. Well, that must have been, I mean, even for you and being young, <clears throat> to have a song that you sang actually be nominated for yeah. an Oscar as best song, that's a huge honor. It was one of my dreams once I was doing television and I would always sit and listen to the song and who would be singing it at the end of a movie. And uh, it was one of my dreams and I never thought that it would come to fruition. Well, who actually won the Oscar for best song that year? Um, a car, um, a couple named the Carpenters called Close to You. <laughs> and they had the hit. Ours was like a semi-hit, but uh, I didn't care. You know, I, I got to do it and got to hear my voice on a movie. Well, so yeah, I, I mean, a nomination is a nomination and it's uh, and it will always be connected to your name forever. And to me, that is still a huge honor. Absolutely, absolutely. What? And uh, a, a thrill. Absolutely a thrill, and I think one of my one of my movie idols was Rock Hudson, and he sat in front of me in the theater, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Because I saw Doris Day and Rock Hudson movies when I was growing up, and so I was always a fan first. Yeah, and I think you have to be uh, if you're in the industry, be a fan first, because I think in a way it just. Uh, it makes things easier, especially if you end up getting to work with some of those famous people. And you yourself worked with some of the most iconic comedic greats. I mean, like George Burns, Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles, who I think is still one of the best ever. And of course, Bob Hope and so many others. Uh, who, who did you like to work with the most and who did you learn from the most? I think um, I learned most from Bob Hope because we, you know, toured two weeks at a time and um, entertaining the troops was ah, so dear to me. And um, golly, I don't know why I'm so emotional. I guess I, at this age, everything's that, That's okay. I, I cry on my own show all the time, so no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You're a crier too. Um, and, and Don Rickles, I adored. And uh, loved working with him, and he was always funny. And and at one point, you know, he said, "Jan, I love you dearly, but you need to get married and have a family and have fun and all that." And you know, uh, at at this point, uh, I was not married when I was working with him, and uh, so I mean, he so he was a very family oriented man, and. You know, he got all his frustrations out on the stage. <laughs> so he was just a sweetie pie, you know, behind stage. And uh, those two were high on my list. Well, I understand that, uh, you know, you entertained troops around the world with Bob Hope, but your own father was shot down while picking up POWs. Did your father survive? No, no. And I never got to meet him. I was born two months before he was shot down, and it was it was two months after World War II had ended, and so a lot of GIs were just sitting around waiting to go home and get their orders, and he volunteered for this and was shot down after the war. So during the COVID, I 
I began to write their story and how our lives intertwined without knowing him. I had one picture, my mother remarried. And in those days, you know, you have a child and, you know, women were not, you know, they didn't, they were not single mothers. And uh, so she married when I was three. And so we never talked about him because my stepdad was very jealous. And um, so I didn't know anything about my father until 9-11. And that was when my stepfather had died. My mother had already passed. And I said, please, God, you know, you, he, she must have saved something of my father. And sure enough, we found two boxes full of love letters and pictures. And because when you are, um, you only know one half of your family, you don't know why you are the way I was. My mother was just a great, you know, mom and housewife, but I didn't know where I got this flair. And the first picture I pulled out of my dad, my father was standing like this, and that was it. I went, oh my God, that's where I got it. And um, just seeing a lot of things, uh, pictures, it, it, it just brought tears because finally um, I was finding out why I was the way I was. And also another picture I took out and there's my father. The only thing I did know is that he was stationed in Alaska before he went to Europe. And there he's standing next to Bob Hope. And I just said, this is a book, this is a movie, this is something. And it just, uh, the way that our lives have intertwined, uh, it's just amazing. You know, it's almost where finding out was a long-awaited confirmation for you. Exactly. Oh, and I forgot to tell you that one of my letters, he and my mom's mom were very close. They had the same birthday. And the letters that he wrote to her were so amazing and dear. And one letter that my grandmother never told me about, he said, my daughter is going to be a big star. I mean, and my grandmother never told me. And I, I just went, oh my God. You know, this is like deja vu, you know, that kind you know, of thing. You know what is so, so amazing about that, Jan? <clears throat> is that, you know, in, in the book of Habakkuk in the Bible, God tells us to write down the vision. And your father literally wrote that down and and like the word and like the like the Bible says, when you write down the vision, it will come to pass in you know in due time. But it will come to pass. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, your father writes this down and in a way speaks it forth. It's ink to paper. It is there forever. And it came to pass. Wow. That you know, that I hadn't really put those two things together, but that is amazing. Uh, and boy, this year especially, you know, I mean, uh, it, it just so many things. And I, I, I must interject and just say that 
Michael B. Sutton of Sound MLA, found me through the Grammy organization. And, um, but actually was introduced to me through John of Houston, who is a PR guy that lives in Houston. And he said, you got to hear this jam daily. So he sent uh, Michael a couple of cuts uh, of me singing and that was it. And we have had a great relationship of, I mean, he's restored my jazz identity and we had a number one jazz album uh golly now it's been like four years i think and uh and and this last year of course was uh, uh what's interesting is that songs that i wrote many years ago are now being revisited and people are loving them and it's so reaffirming that geez i guess i did something right you know well, you know i heard your current single the girls in love and i listened it i, I was listening to it uh over and over and i got to thinking because when i first heard it i was like i said that's a that's a bit country but it suits <laughs> your voice so well because i even picked i was like i said i know somebody who sings like that and i'm thinking who is it who is it who is it and I went ah trisha yearwood has that type of sound that in that song the girls in love and uh -huh. and i was like you may i mean this song is so today oh thank you i want a compliment and i love trisha yearwood and, you know, during that 20 years that I was writing songs, uh, I was writing them for country artists because um, it, it, I was writing story songs. And so I was pitching them. Uh, Garth Brooks uh, picked up one and, and kept it. And then it was at the end of his album, he already cho chose things, you know, th things happen. And Leon Rimes had... Uh, kept another song of mine for like a year and then decided she didn't want to sing about her mother because <laughs> she was older. <laughs> so, you know, just like I said, you know, uh, God was preserving my songs and here they are. And now the Country uh, Music Association and, and uh, Virgin Universal uh, have jumped on the bandwagon and I sent... Uh, my, now, of course, Michael didn't know I was writing country songs. And he, and he said, do you have any more songs? Because they're asking for more songs. I said, oh, sure. So I sent him six and they went, oh, my God, I, I think I might have three albums here. So uh, to change, you know, direction, I, it's just just amazing. And so reaffirming that, you know, all that work was worth it. You know? Well, you know, you wrote a song, <clears throat> The Way of a Woman. And I saw that you have five different versions of that song. Why? Well, that was Michael. You know, at, at, first we had the jazz, and 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 that was that was the name of our album. Uh, that was you know really more in the jazz vein. And um, so when this when I was nom or inducted into the Women's Songwriters Hall of Fame, they made that their official song. And it was just straight kind of pop. It wasn't, it's really not a jazz song. It's a pop song, right? So Michaels came in and he said, you know, I, oh, 
all the promoters saying, yeah, this is, this is like, this is not jazz. This is a pop song. And that's the one that was writing between Lady Gaga and Taylor Swift. So when that, you know, kind of, you know, settled into its uh, normalcy, I guess. Uh, then Mike said, you know, I'm going to make a smooth jazz version. I said, okay. And I, I love this version. It's great. Then he comes back and said, I'm going to do a global jazz version. I went, oh, okay. And, and I, 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 it reminded me of Cher, her, her doing one of those things. And then he came back and said, you know, we haven't done country. I went, okay, I'll be interested in seeing how this comes out country. And sure enough, uh, the country people picked it up and uh, it was like, I think it reached 23 or something. I, I don't know. It's, it, it was, I mean, it's just phenomenal um, to have five versions. Well, I like, one. I like the remix version. The remix version of which remix, you know, was it the country that you heard or uh, just no. a remix? <clears throat> On the way of the woman, it would, it's very, it's very pop oriented, uh, yeah. almost to where it would be heard in a dance club. Oh, okay. I think on okay. Spotify, it's the first one listed. Cause when I, when I, when I was looking up the songs and then, uh, I saw this, the one where it said the way the woman and I clicked on it and I'm like, there's five versions. And so I was, <laughs> so I clicked on the first one, which was the, the first one listed was the, the remix, a very heavy pop, almost dance oriented type. I was like, this sounds really great. And uh, so I like that one. And, but I, I'm sure that Michael probably just, when he hear when he heard the foundation of the whole song, he probably in his mind could think of the fact that there's different versions that could be created from it, which is a great thing. I mean, to have a song that can have universal appeal, that's just a hit right then and there. You know, uh, and I always thought actually that it was my best song. I think the lyric uh, spoke to a lot of people, whether they were women or men, uh, in that they've all gone through, I think we've all gone through those kind of relationships. So I think that, I think it first hit their heart or their soul uh, and and how they could relate to it. And no matter what kind of music you like, we we fit them all in, you know. Well, so. you know, I like the song because it's not, um, it doesn't have that overall anthem feel, uh, feel to it where, you know, like, you know, like Helen Reddy's I Am Woman, that's like a true that's anthem a of a yes. song, yes. you know. Um, Lady Lady Gaga's done stuff like that. Um, trying to think of what the who um, I can see her Adele, face. Adele, maybe Adele. Name. Yeah, you know, and but I like the way of the woman, and because to me it has a much more timeless appeal. I mean, seriously, when's the last time anybody anybody ever heard Helen Reddy's "I Am Woman"? Probably it's probably been forty years since anybody's even heard that song. Yeah, and I think. You know, so I like yours. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you do. <laughs> That's why we're talking here. I, I know. Well, I've got to ask you too, because like you had mentioned, you were inducted into the Women's Songwriters Hall of Fame. That's a very high accomplishment. And for songwriters, you know, they get excited if they write a hit song. 
but it's really being inducted into a Hall of Fame. That's really the pinnacle, correct? It, it is, and and so gratifying at this age. And I and I keep saying that because, you know, you're writing and writing and writing uh, for 20 years, and of course I continue to write, but but and you're and you're not getting anyone to record them, and so that's what happened. We ended up recording six of my songs on the number one album, and and little did they know that a lot of these songs were originally, you know, for the country market, and yet they went into the jazz market. And I think, you know, I, I know, I knew Marilyn and uh, Alan, of course, is still uh, around Bergman, who were my favorite composers and uh, lyricists. And they said, a good song is a good song. It should be able to go through decades and time. And I, I think that's what happened. Now, with your stage shows, I mean, uh, do you sing mostly jazz? I do. I, I, I guess I love uh, the art of a song. And, and I find that, you know, what we used to call standards and now is the American songbook. Um, I, that's what I would do because um, I, I fall in love with the melody actually before the, before the lyric. If the, if the melody catches my ear, I'm like, okay, I'm listening, you know, that kind of thing. And so I like to do that. And, um, but this year, or I actually will say next year, will be a whole different thing because I'll I'll feel like I can sing a lot of my songs in uh, in my new show. And I think it's the city girl meets the country girl. I, I don't know what it's going to be called, but but it, it'll be a it'll be a fun show because there's a lot of fun things that I've written, like eat your heart out and, you know, just honky tonk kind of songs, which is not at all my persona. But um, the lyric kind of tells the story. And it always has to do with a guy, you know. From because, <laughs> because you have written so many songs. And when you do your stage show, do you ever sing or cover songs, maybe from the Great American Songbook? Oh, absolutely. No, they're, they're you know, I grew up listening. My mother was a fan of, of American Songbook, but she was also a fan of big bands. And um, I, did a, I did an album, I recorded an album with Les Brown Jr. because we got to talking and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make a tribute album to Bob Hope. And little did I know that he introduced Gershwin tunes, Cole Porter tunes. I, I had no idea because through his movies, uh, through Broadway, uh, he was like the first to record some of these well-known, like Can't Get Started, uh, It's the Lovely, uh, just uh, amazing songs. So uh, we recorded it with the Les Brown Jr. Band, and um, we just call it the Les Brown Swingin' Band, you know, that kind of thing. But that was a great album that did well, and um, it was it was it was something that I wanted to give back to him because he gave so much. <laughs> well, you know, it's you know that's the thing about today. Um, we don't have people like Bob Hope. 
You know, we don't have entertainers like Don Rickles and Dean Martin and, you know, and, and Carol Burnett. And yeah, and she, she's, you know, I mean, she's still kicking it alive and is, has all her faculties and can still make you laugh. But we yeah. just don't have that caliber of talent today. I don't know if it's because of the way that entertainment is geared, but I miss that type of talent because these guys, these people have legacies that are incredible. I mean, I feel sorry for the younger generation today because they don't understand how great these entertainers were. Right. And I think, you know, the platforms are so much different now and um, you don't have a comedian that's in Vegas, you know, four times a year or six times. However, the legacy now is to go in and do, but they're mostly singers. I don't, so far, we don't see the comedians going in, but that's, that was my bread and butter of opening uh, a singer open for a comedian. So I got to open for just these tremendous icons and they also had their own TV shows. I mean, Dean Martin, who I was on his show and, and loved what he did. And uh, it, they just don't have that anymore. And people, I mean, everything has changed. We don't have where we're going to watch this show on Saturday night, you know, that kind of thing with our regular networks. And I, I, I do, uh, I do miss that a wee bit. I, I um, do. I mean, I miss, I miss the variety shows that we used yeah. to have on television. And like you said, I mean, you had Dean Martin, you had Carol Burnett. Um, Burnett. You, you had uh, Donnie Marie Osmond. You had Sonny and Cher. There was all of these different types of variety shows. I mean, I still remember Laugh-In. Oh, absolutely. I remember auditioning for Laugh-In. <laughs> and it, nobody knew what what is this show? You know, we, we were all kind of confounded. And so... You know, I went in and auditioned and had no clue of what they were looking for. And uh, I was a fan of all those shows. And and what's great is that I that I became friends with Dean Martin, but I also became friends and, and still am with Carol Burnett. And what a what an icon if you're thinking about it. Uh, well, yeah, she, even Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. I mean, uh, who else? Uh, Golly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, well, there, there were, well, see, the thing that I loved, see, for most of you who are watching and listening today, ladies and gentlemen, and, and you think that a variety show is like Saturday Night Live, that's nothing. No. That, that doesn't compare to what the talent was in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and into the early 80s, because... You know, I remember Jan, like, and, and Laugh-In is the perfect example. And in a way, Dean Martin was too, because, you know, where, where Saturday Night Live, they may have a skit, and the skit's lasting like five or six minutes, way too long. But then you have Laugh-In, and they can literally do a skit within 30 seconds to a minute. You know, these little quick quips, yeah. and you were laughing, yes. And then yeah. they went on to the next one and it was just one right after the other. And you just enjoyed the whole hour and now yeah. they just drag. And at the same time, back in the day, nothing was politically motivated. Everything was just fun. You enjoyed it. You couldn't wait for the show yeah. to come on. And that's the type of television I actually miss 
today because we just don't get that. Yeah. You know, I have to agree. Um, and I think we were spoiled in that essence that um, there were so many gifted people and there still are many gifted people. They, uh, I guess the producers uh, and writers are, are trying to come up with that, but it's such a different, uh, really a different audience now too, who are TikTok watchers and they're, they're used to, you know, four seconds of this. And so they get um, bored really quickly. Whereas well, that's, we were, yeah. that was the beauty of Laugh-In because, yeah. you know, you know, you had Rowan and Martin and they could, they could, and they were great hosts because they could stand there together, say something, do it. I mean, a, an extremely short bit that you would, could literally fit on TikTok. And yeah. they, they were the, they were the big creators back in the day because they did it fast. They did it quick. It was funny and it moved on to the next skit or the next scene. And we don't right. see that today. And I'm thinking, you know, television executives today could literally bring something like that back. And we'd all be, I mean, everybody loves to laugh. Absolutely. And it would be to a brand new audience. So it would be, uh, you know, a brand new concept for them, uh, for much younger people, teenagers up. And uh, for for us, it, it would just be bringing back uh, more memories and and getting our new talent out there and, you know, exposing them. Well, remember so. when, you know, I think if I remember correctly, one of the the biggest stars to come off of laughing was Goldie Hawn. Absolutely. She you was know, hysterical. I loved, you know, I loved her and I wish I'd see more of her now, you know, she had a great sense of humor. Yeah. And, you know, and I look back because your career is just, you have got to write a book. <laughs> well, I did. I it's, it's about this big so far, and uh, but in in a way, I want it to be a limited series because it's still going, and um, it, there's so many things. I mean, I think about how I've almost died like three times, you know, and people that. I, I want to be an inspiration to a lot of people who are in cancer, to anything. It, it, it's so much, in, you know, in the mind, fixed at something else besides your illness. And I, I, I have a few friends that are going through things like this. And you can tell the difference between their recoveries because of their positive thinking. And I think that has so much to do with uh, how you recover from these things. Well, how, how long did it take you to recover from your can cancer battle? Pardon? How long did it take you to recover from your own cancer battle at the age of 23? Uh, probably two years. And in the meantime, um, I was in and out of the hospital a lot. I was like, you know, hemorrhaging this and that, you know, and... I, I just kept working as much as I could and, and I didn't dwell on it, but I will say that after five years waking up and I just went five years, okay, I'm free <laughs> because that in those days, that's what they would say five years and you're, 
That's right. Uh, you know, <clears throat> yeah, five <throat> five years, then they would say that you were cured. And then if you ended yeah. up getting it again, they didn't count it. They just counted it as a, a new case is, is how they did and it. And usually was a new case, you know. Uh, but but I had a girlfriend, um, she, you know, they said, you're clean, great. And she she told us really on her her last time all together with her friends that she knew something was coming back and she went with her husband and family to Italy. And, and I said, oh my God, you know, she said, you know what? I knew what I'd have to go through again. I just had to do this now while I was feeling good. And uh, so she did what she thought and did what she wanted to do and how she wanted to spend life. Well, I learned uh, by doing some research that you actually recorded two faith-based albums. What does your faith mean to you? Don't get me started. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I, um, everything I owe it really, um, the live one was taken from, um, our power, Dr. Robert Schuler, which was out of the Crystal Cathedral, where I became a Christian, where I baptized my little girl, where I got married, you know, so this whole new kind of living uh, I, I was a part of. And I'm an only child. My daughter's an only child. She had an only child. And not because we wanted, but that's the way it turned out. And it, it, I finally felt like I was part of a family. And um, these two albums, uh, His Light and Live, are all faith based as we call them now and um i just had to do them you know it was something that i was doing at the time and um it, you know it means the world to me and i like to say that and i think it's nice that you asked that because um i like to share my faith with people and how it's helped me in every circumstance. Well, you know, what and, I love, Jan, is that, and I talk to people, I talk to a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And there are those who are, they're believers in Christ, but they don't say a word um, based on maybe because they're a major film star and they don't want it to possibly harm their career or pigeonhole them. But I love the fact that when it comes to recording artists, a lot of them, they they let. I mean, if the world wants to know, they tell them. And um, I re, I remember this is probably just a few months back. I interviewed uh, recording artist Jonathan Butler, and and I asked him because he he does jazz, he does blues, and he also had done worship albums. And I asked him, I go, do you bring all of those songs? into your concerts he goes oh yeah he goes if we're doing jazz or we're doing blues he goes oh i'll always pull out of a praise and worship song uh and, it, and he goes the thing is is most of my audience already knows that i had numerous albums on the charts and he and he told me this story of this woman sitting on the front row and <clears throat> she had just been diagnosed with cancer so her husband brings her to the concert and they, they i guess they're sitting on the front row and 
and then Jonathan's doing his whole uh, concert, and he's doing one of the worship songs. And the woman is sitting there, and Jonathan doesn't know what's going on. He's just doing his concert. And and the woman later told him uh, later that when she was sitting there, and he was doing one of the worship songs, she just had this warm feeling come over her, and the thought entered her, her mind, I'm healed. And so she goes back to the doctor, and they couldn't find any more cancer. So you know what? You're you're just as big a shining light as, as Jonathan Butler or anybody else. And I love the fact that here you are with such deep roots in the entertainment industry that anyone who believes in Christ should not be able, they should not put that light under a bushel like the like the Lord says. Let that light shine, you know, because everybody needs to know. Well, let's just be honest, everybody needs to know who Jesus is. You know, it's interesting, uh, throughout, you know, when I was acting and all, and doing all that, I mean, um, I, I never said it because it was kind of like voodoo, you know, you, you didn't say anything, mom was the word, and, you know, now I don't care, <laughs> that's who I am, that's who I believe in, uh, and, you know, you can walk away, that's fine. But I'd like to share with you something that has helped me through thick and thin. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I like that people are starting to listen. And I love that moms that are, are uh, in their 40s and, you know, maybe left a career like I did and saying, hey, you know, when they go off to college or when they get married, you still have, you are still this viable person that you don't have to give up your life or your identity to have children or, or you know, just be at a certain age. And, and I, I tell people over and over, so what if you're 65? That doesn't mean you quit life. You know, you need to embrace what you have and, and people will listen. And, um, and I think that's what's happened to me this year and boy, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a brand new EP or LP coming out in 2024? Well, um, I know that we are just now we're, we've got the girls in love and it's number five on the country charts. But uh, of course, because this is December, uh, we have the first Noel, which is on my Christmas album uh, called Home for Christmas. And um, 2024, as far as combining all my stuff, we haven't uh, we haven't put it together yet. Uh, we need to take a breath. Um, and it, it will. And we will get in touch with you when it's finished. Well, Jan, I have absolutely enjoyed our conversation today. You are just as beautiful on the inside as you are on the outside. You're, you're strong. You're vibrant. You know what life is all about. And, you know, I can't wait to see uh, what else you have for all of your fans and to bring it forward. So, uh, you know, you need to, you need to start getting back into movies or something. Yes, I think so. Well, at least narrating my, my story or something like that. Um, or they could AI me the way I look today. 
<laughs> and if it takes 20 years to get out, who knows? But thank you, Ward. You've been, uh, you've kind of opened up my heart, uh, you know, just to feel very comfortable in sharing uh, certain things that I probably wouldn't share on another interviewer's line. Well, one thing about my uh, viewers and my listeners, you know, they love people who are absolutely honest and genuine. And, uh, and if a tear flows here and there, you know, everybody embraces that and it just makes, you know, people, well, it comforts people. It lets them know that they can do the exact same thing and, uh, and not have to worry about anything. But I absolutely love your spirit and love your heart, Jan. Thank you. Well, you're on my best list as well. Thank you so much, Ward. I have to run off now and go to a charity thing that, I've, that I'm in. So um, I will tell them all about your show and you guys will let us know when this will air. That it's it. And we will. And ladies and gentlemen, head over to jandaily.com for all of our music and appearance dates. Variety Magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, and even Billboard Magazine all sing Jan's praise as being a versatile singer-songwriter. And once you hear her voice, you'll too be an instant fan. And again, we thank Jan for sharing her legacy and her music with us today. And for all of you, I want to thank you for watching and listening. And as for me, I'll see you next time.